Psalm 131. Turn your Bibles there if you have your copy with you. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I am calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Family, as we step into this today, I just want you to know that my, you, you know that moment when you have your computer open and you've got too many apps open and everything runs a little bit slower? That's kind of the world that I'm in today. So we need a lot of grace. Good news is that God is full of it. He's got plenty of it for us to be good and faithful hearers of his word. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful so much today that you have allowed us to sit in the presence of your word, to let your spirit teach us. And we pray today that our ears would be open to hear, that you would give us ears to hear, that we would give up things that are not ours to control, that we would relinquish outcomes and means and timing and all of the things to your good and beautiful will, and that in that we would find a calm and quiet for our soul even when the world around us is descending into chaos. Let us trust in you, hope in you, actively put our expectation in you from this time forth forevermore. We ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. So we're going to show you a picture here. I got authorization to do this, so I'm not going to get killed. Uh, Well, I still might get killed. There's still time. Everybody say... Hi to Amelia Rose. Ever say hi. Oh, so that's what happened yesterday. I didn't do anything. We just showed up and sat. If you have any grandpa questions, like I told you this morning, direct all those to Chad. He's answering all the grandpa questions from here on out. Um, Mama and baby are doing good. It was a long day, but that is a beautiful, beautiful little baby. And so we are rejoicing. And what I found is this, is that in moments like that, man, it is just phenomenally easy to be at rest in the world, isn't it? Like when you're staring at this, kind of everything fades to the background and all of the rush and all of the hustle and all of the things that are going on in life, they just kind of lose their weight in that moment. Unfortunately, there are many more moments than just that moment, right? uh, Charles Spurgeon said of the psalm that's in front of us this morning that it is one of the easiest and shortest to read, but it is one of the longest to learn. And I think if we do our work well this morning in the text, I think that we'll find that. But what I hope happens um, is that in this process, in this journey through this text, that you and I find a just an overwhelmingly compelling vision for a better way to do life. Okay? That's what I hope that happens. So before we dive too much into this text in Psalm 131, I want you to put your ribbon there, put your finger there, whatever you need to do. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Always good to consider Jesus, right? Believe that's what the scripture tells us to do. Probably be good for us to do in a moment like this. I want to read to you something about Jesus. I don't have time to 
talk about all the ins and outs of what's happening in the text, but I do want you to think about this. I want you to use your mind. I want it to be engaged as fully as possible as we think through the life and especially the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse number 36, we have what is a very familiar passage probably for most of you if you've been in church at all. But I want you to just listen to it. Let it wash over your soul. Then Jesus went with them to a place that is called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be what? Sorrowful and troubled. Now I don't have time to really wrestle out all the theology of this. We can do this later. My offer is always on the table. I'm going to say some things today that may be weird for some of you. That's fine. My offer is always on the table. I will talk theology with anybody who wants to talk theology. You just have to buy the coffee. Okay, always on the table, still on the table today. So if I say something, don't be afraid. Let's talk about it, okay? Let's learn. Let's, let's let iron sharpen iron and grow, okay? I don't know all the ins and outs of what is taking place here, but what I do know is that when the Bible says that Jesus was sorrowful and deeply troubled, it means that Jesus was sorrowful and deeply troubled. He is feeling the intensity of his feelings. I don't understand all the theology. I just need to let the scripture say what it says. Then he said unto them, my soul is very sorrowful. Some versions will read that my soul is troubled. It means that the intensity of this moment is not passing for Jesus. It's that he feels it in the depths of his being. This is not some minor scrape on his knee. This is something that he feels in the internal nature of his being. Okay? And he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here, watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face. Have you ever fell on your face in desperation? I need you to, I need you to get this. Luke says it this way, that as he prayed, his sweat was as great drops of blood. I heard, I don't know, no scientist, I heard you could actually become so intense that the capillaries in your head can literally burst and blood can come forth. I don't know if that's true, but I know Luke said that he prayed and as he did, his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. The intensity with which Jesus is feeling this moment cannot be understated. He fell on his face and he prayed and this is what he prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If we can change this, let's change this. I know that's uncomfortable. I understand. Again, I don't know it all. We can discuss it later. But now watch this shift. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What happens in the next 24 hours of Jesus' life is the greatest atrocity ever known to mankind. There is no greater injustice. There is no greater violence. You take it all in your mind. Every ounce of history that you can think of that was horrible, that was brutal, that was unjust, that was ungodly, that was unfair, that was violent and murderous. You take all of those ounces of human history and you combine them up into one insurmountable sum and they would not even begin to scratch the depths of injustice that Jesus went through on your and my behalf. Not even close. 
Not even close. There is no greater injustice than the sinless, spotless Son of God taking my sin upon himself. And in this moment as he prays and he's hurting and he's feeling the depths of it and he's feeling the weights of it, what he does is he doesn't deny his feeling, he doesn't escape his feeling, he doesn't numb his feeling, he sits in it, owns it, and then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in this absolute surrender, Jesus rises in calm and he proceeds through the next 24 hours in just this remarkable composure of his soul. Like we don't, we read over this so fast and we know the events so well that sometimes we miss this. But I just want you to think about what happens. The guards come for Jesus in the garden. Peter is so amped up. Anybody ever been amped up? Had too much coffee, right? You know what I'm talking about? Peter is so amped up. The guards come. Peter draws out his sword or whatever it is, chops the dude's ear off because he's ready to fight. You know who isn't ready to fight? Jesus isn't ready to fight. Not only is Jesus not ready to fight, Jesus isn't ready to run. He's not ready to hide. He picks up the ear, puts it back on. He not only takes care of the man who's going to lead him to his death, but he even ministers to Peter in this moment. The guards are even hesitant, and Jesus leads them to this unjust and unfair trial. And as they mock him, and as they slap him, and as they toy with him, never once does Jesus lose his composure or control. Never once does he cry about his victimhood or his rights or all of these things. He remains in control and possession of his soul, right? And as he goes through this, and as they lead him to the cross, and as they mock him and beat him and spit upon him, and and they beat him beyond recognition, Jesus never curses God, and he never curses man. Always in composure of his soul. He never seems rushed. He never seems overwhelmed. He never seems uh, vengeful. He never seems angry. He never seems agitated. He's just possessed. Remember as Pilate is toying with him? What is truth? And Jesus, not out of spite, not out of anger, not out of vengeance, speaks truth to him in love. As they march him to the cross, he doesn't flinch. He doesn't back away. As they nail him to it and they put him up, and it takes literally everything that he has to breathe, he sees his mother and loves her in his deepest agony. He sees his friend and says, take care of my mother. He listens to one thief who rails him and mocks him, and he listens to another thief who says, remember me. And Jesus, with all of the authority on heaven and in earth, says, today you will be with me in paradise. As his own blood spills, as his own oxygen runs short, Jesus never seems like he's losing control. Like he's not in absolute and total composure of his own soul. He never seems at the mercy of what is going on around him. He always seems to walk through this moment with this calm, with this peace, with this surrender to the will of his Father. Through every last breath of it, he gives constant, joyful, willful submission to his Father's will. And this is a picture of a Christ who moves, and I want you to hear this, he moves through the worst of evils with the sweetest of calm in his soul. He's not anxious. He is not rushed, he is not overwhelmed, he is not interrupted, he is not resentful, 
He is not detached. He's not distant. He's not escaping. He's not numbing. And here's, here's the thing. At any moment, he can change any part of this or he can change every part of this. You know what I'm saying? How, how, many, how many of you have learned that life happens to you? There, what that means is this, is there are some things you can't control. We lived on somebody else's protocol all day, didn't we, yesterday, Chad? Nadine told us to do stuff, and we, it was just like, hey, listen, when your kids start telling you what to do, something wells up inside of you, and you just want to drive that demon far from them. <laughs> Care how old they get. You're just like, hey, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, the scripture says, and the rod of correction will drive it far from you. I don't care if you are 25 years old. And so there's just, but we lived on somebody else's time, right? And if we're honest, even if we don't like it, it was their time, right? They do get to say, at least for that day, not today. Today's a different day. Today's a new day. <laughs> today's, our, today's our turn, right? So reality is a lot of life happens to you, and there's nothing we can do to change a lot of it. But don't ever get in your mind that Jesus couldn't change this. He could have. He could have absolutely imposed his own security and his own protection on this moment, and he chose not to. Instead, he let life, evil, and brokenness do what it will. Not because he wasn't in control, don't make that mistake, but because that's what it took. To purchase our full redemption. But that's Jesus, right? <laughs> that's not me. That's not me tomorrow. That's not me on Monday. That's not me starting school, going back to work. That's not me and my family relationships. That's Jesus, right? Obviously, Jesus does that because he's Jesus. Let's go back to Psalm 31, 131. And I want you to read this with me again because this is very important. As you're turning back to Psalm 131, I've told you before, that just in the past couple of years, I'm learning that I have feelings. I was not raised in a very um, overt, emotionally family. Anybody with me? Or nobody with me? Um, we loved each other, but we just didn't talk about it. Why would you do something like that, right? And so, it was just one of those things where emotions were something that were hard for me to deal with. I didn't know how to process them. And most of the time, my emotions, because I didn't know how to deal with them, what they were, where they were coming from, or what they meant, I let them do things to me and lead me in directions that caused me a lot of trouble. With me? And so in those moments, in reaction to that, my thought was, okay, well, if emotions make me do dumb things, then maybe I can just stuff the emotions and I won't do the dumb things. Some of you are looking at me like this plan is not very wise. Well, you know a little better than I do, okay? Everybody knows a little better sitting on this side of it, right? But in all of this process, what I've been doing is I've been learning that not only are my emotions part of how God made me, they're also part of, a part of how God shapes me and uses me. And even, believe it or not, God uses my emotions to help me follow his will and submit to his reign. This is what he does. They're not a distant part, a disconnected part. As a matter of fact, when Jesus told us about loving the Lord our God, he told us to do it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are not a disconnected body and soul and spirit. You are a connected body and soul and spirit. And all of that is to be brought into submission to Jesus Christ. Not parts of it. Not just the parts you like and they're comfortable with. All of that needs to fall under the rule and the reign of Jesus. And so as I'm learning this, I'm feeling deeply and all of this kind of stuff. One of the things I've noticed is this, is that if I'm 
I'm not careful and I'm not intentional with my soul and I'm not guarded with my soul, I will live strictly and entirely at the mercy of the way that I feel. So let me say this. Life ever got busy? Life is busy. I just got off of 10 months of working 60 to 80 hours a week for every week for those 10 months. And for the last four Saturdays, until somebody decided they need to have a baby, I did absolutely nothing to feel like I could catch up, right? And it's about to all start over again. We're about to just do it all over again, where life is just going to get busy and busy and busy. And what I've noticed is this, is not only is life busy, but the state of my soul is busy. You know what I'm talking about? You feel rushed, like you feel rushed internally. Or when life has got a lot going on, I feel overwhelmed. Or when relationships are having a sense of conflict, I feel distressed and discouraged and angry and sometimes resentful, sometimes even vengeful, right? Or when life, or you think anything, like money is just not coming in and bills, bills always come quicker than income. And it just, it works, right? And in, in those moments, I feel anxious and I feel worried and all of these things. And if I'm not careful, what happens is this. I want you to pay attention to this. What I feel rises to the level of the chaos that is happening around me. You with me? But is there any other way to live? Is that it? Is that just like all we're destined for? Like, yeah, of course, Kevin. That's not just you. That's all of us. What if there's another way to live? What if there's a way to live in such a calm and composure of the soul that regardless of what the chaos around us does, this stays centered and anchored? That's what I think Psalm 131 is about. So let's listen. Verse number two, he says it just like this. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. David is the psalmist here, and what he is saying at the very least is this, is that I am intentional with my internal world. I am not at the mercy of what happens to me. I am not even at the mercy of what happens inside of me. I am intentional with what is happening inside of me. And so this is a profound statement, and we need to sit in it for just a second. By grace, David has learned to master. At least at this moment, he has learned to master his own naturally restless soul. The soul. There are a lot of philosophical debates and theological debates about what the soul is. Here's what you need to know, at least in this context, David is referring to his internal world, right? What's happening on the inside of him. And he's saying, there in my depths, I've been able to find this place of calm, of quiet, of composure. Here's a good word to use in this text, contentment. I'm okay, I'm free from fret, from worry, from angst. Disturbing desires and unruly emotions are no longer ruling my heart. That's what he means by this. He has found a place that, in my opinion, sounds almost too good to be true. A place where his heart is calm, even though life around him may be everything but calm. And he uses the imagery of a weaned child to help us understand what he's talking about. And mamas, you know kind of how this process goes. Dads, don't act like you do because we know you don't. We know you lied and you just said you knew what happened. You just came home one day and your child was weaned, right? Amen? And somehow it happened and mama did all of this phenomenal work. 
But one of the things that happens in this weaning process is very important. It's one of the first moments in our lives where we are given intentional pain by someone we love, from someone we love. We are denied comforts that we have learned to hope for and depend upon, right? And they're not unnecessary. How many of you know that babies need to eat? How many of you are confused by the question? (laughs) Babies need to eat. Okay, this is the way they are built. But over time, what mama does is mama trains baby not to need mama to do that. And at first, it's hard. It's painful. The child has no frame of reference for why mama would be a jerk like this, right? (laughs) Mom, why would you ever? But as time goes on, what happens? The child's desires are subdued. They're not only subdued, they're changed. Some of you walk around, I don't mean to be crass or anything like that, just some of you walk around and your kids don't think twice about that today, right? Why don't they think twice about that? Because their desires have changed. They were denied something they learned to hope for and rest in and count on. And in love, mama says, no, we're going to put that aside. And as they do over time throughout this painful process, the child grows content with mama and not with what mama gives. Do you see the picture? He says, like a, like a weaned child, my soul, that's what it is. I'm sitting content. Here's, what it, here's a good way to think of it. If nothing in my life changes right now, I am trusting you, Father, and I am okay. So take all the things in your life that you want to change, and I'm not talking about, oh, I want to lose five pounds here, I want to be this or that. I'm talking about the things that matter. And put them all here in a pile. And what if none of them change? Are you Okay. If they don't, they might, God can, and God does, and he will obviously do some things that we don't even know, or or but what what we're talking about here is that David is saying, I've reached this place where I'm, I'm at, and my internal world is okay if nothing around me changes, if everything stays the same, and every hurt is the same, and every tear is the same, and every wound is fresh, and nothing changes, I am okay. My desires have changed. This is what he's describing. I'm internally calm and at rest. Even though the very God of comfort perhaps has denied me comfort. Why would God do that? Isn't he the God of comfort? Still calm and at rest. In the God who is. In the life that is. Let me give you two phrases that I think are good for your vocabulary. God as he is, life as it is. Most of us are not nearly as comfortable with God as he is as we think we are. We would prefer a God that we want rather than the God as he is. And most of us, at least some points in our life, reach this place where we want not life as it is. I want life different. I want something better. I want some place better. I want someone better. Always something better. And watch what happens. Every time I'm looking for something different, something better, something down the road, something past me, I'm not present in this moment. Okay? Now, here's what I really want you to catch in. I really want to say a lot. 
I want you to understand that the moment you are in is the moment that God is in. The now, not the later. The here, not simply the there. I want you to understand that God is as faithful and as present in this moment as he will ever be at any moment. And what happens is when my heart gets unsteady and my soul gets restless, I want out of this moment. I want to escape it. I want to numb it. I want to deny it. I want to just fill it with stuff so that I don't have to talk about it anymore. I I just want to get out of this moment. And the problem with wanting to get out of this moment and out of this situation is this moment is the moment that God gave me and he will use it to develop my soul for his glory and my good. And if I'm always rushing to get out of this moment, then I'm missing the very thing that God is using to develop my heart and soul. And I'm constantly running, and I'm constantly anxious, and I'm trying to make things work and manipulate situations, and I'm doing all of this work when if I would just let God do what God does. Because God always does what is beautiful, good, and true, and I can trust Him. It makes no sense to let go if there is no one to trust when I do it. But it makes every bit of sense to let go when there is someone like God to trust when I do. Do you know why I don't like to get in the water with my wife? Because she thinks she's funny. <laughs> if you don't know, I'm deathly terrified of water. I will lose all of my faith in Jesus if you try to mess with me in the water. There's a little bit of Oklahoma Southeast uh, hood in me that will come back very fast if you mess with me in the water. I will not take your kids to church camp. I will, if I do, I won't get in the pool with them because your kids will come home with black eyes because they think it's fun to mess with a little short preacher in the pool. I don't think that's fun. I'm just kidding. I won't hurt anybody. But my wife gets in the pool and she thinks it's fun to act like she's going to drown me. That's not fun because if I do start drowning, she's the person who has to save me. And I don't know that I can trust her now. You understand what I'm saying? She says, oh, just float. She does, she's done this, I haven't been in the water since she did this. She, she said, they slay in my arms and relax. I said, last time we did this, you tried to push me in the water. And she's like, how come you can't relax? And I'm just like, maybe it's you. <laughs> maybe it's you, right? And this is the truth. We feel like we have to control this, that, and this. And if I can control it, then it will be better for me. Our history shows that that's not true, but we still believe it. Actually, God's history shows that he has handled everything just fine. (laughs) Like just fine, right? You know what I'm saying? Okay, so this is what David is talking about. I got to move fast. I'm running out of time. This is all throughout scripture, by the way. David, surrounded by his enemies in Psalm 3, says, I've laid my soul down and slept. I'm not anxious. I'm not disturbed. In Psalm 62, the psalmist says, my soul silently waits for the Lord. It means that there is no internal angst but an internal peace. In Psalm 23, you will remember the famous words that David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. That is the place where you are supposed to fear evil. It's one thing not to fear evil in the green pastures or beside still waters. It is another thing not to fear evil in the valley of the shadow of death. That's where evil happens. 
You with me? And in this moment, when the chaos is going and it's stirring and I can't do anything about it, David says, I found a place to rest content in the beautiful truth and goodness and mercy of God my Father. I can trust him with this. I can trust him. If he doesn't change anything and we stay in this valley forever, I'm okay because he is good. And this is what he's talking, this is what Paul talks about when Paul says, I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul was not given strength to change a bit of his situation. Paul was given strength to sit in whatever situation he was in. That's what he means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But as beautiful as this sounds, it sounds really idealistic, doesn't it? Like it doesn't align with reality. Someone said that there is in every man's heart a silent fountain of disquiet and unrest. I would argue that the fountain is rarely silent. Most of the time it seems to be the only thing that I can hear. Hold your place here in Psalm 131 and look at Psalm 42. Oh man, I really got to get going. You guys got anywhere to be? The baby's still at the hospital. They're going to try to stay another night. I have nowhere to go. <laughs> Psalm 42, verse number. Now let's look at verse number 8. I'm sorry, verse number 5. Why are you cast down, oh my what? You see the connection? Psalm 131, verse number 2 says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Verse number 5 of Psalm 42 is entirely different. Why are you cast down, O my soul? The next line says, why are you in turmoil within me? Some of your versions will read, why are you disquieted within me? Do you see the contrast here? Psalm 131, he's learned to calm and quiet his soul. And in Psalm 42, his soul is anything but calm and quiet. So if I'm honest, I track a whole lot more with Psalm 42 than I do with 131. Angst and fret and worry and anything but ease, that's the ideal that he's speaking of. That the, that the noise is ringing louder than any other voice in his heart. His mind is agitated. His heart is disquieted by anxieties and fears and worries and distresses. It is the exact opposite of Psalm 131. It is a restless soul. The cares and the concerns of life are weighing heavy. The chaos transcends any and all peace. Fret is raging. Rest is nowhere to be found. One after another, troubles come. As Job says, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for my soul, for trouble comes. My heart is in turmoil, and it cannot rest. And so if I were to do this, if I were to take Psalm 142, or Psalm 42, because you guys look like Psalm 42 people. And I was to put it right here on this wall. Sorry, camera people. And I was to take Psalm 131, and I was to put it over here on this wall, and I was to look at this like a spectrum. You with me? I would be able to honestly say that I run closer to Psalm 42 than I do 131. Like most of my life, the internal world is not calm and quiet. If I'm honest... And listen, I think we need to be honest here because I think perhaps this is where culture is more seductive than any other place. 
We know we shouldn't cuss, smoke, or chew, or date girls who do, and we believe that's what Jesus is all about, but what if he's about living internally different too? What if this is just unhealthy in my discipleship to Jesus as my potty mouth is on Saturday? And so I'm running over here, and I'm in this world where I'm constantly anxious and fretting and worrying and distressing over life, and I'm moving and running closer to that. Rather than running through life with this steady state of contentment and calm, most of us actually run and operate in a steady state of discontentment. And the world around us can give us nothing different. Culture only does this, by the way. I think we need to be wise about culture. I think we can talk about it too much. We can talk about culture more than we do about Jesus. Culture is not our message. Say it with me. Culture is not our message. Jesus is our message. That's it, right? Not what the world has come to, but what has come to the world. That's the message of believers in Jesus Christ. And so here's, here's, here's the point. The pace that we think we have to live at, the inordinate amounts of media consumption, the constant exposure to this and that, you cannot live with a quieted soul in that kind of a world. Not if you do those things. You can't. You can't live a hectic life and possess a calm soul. They don't work together. And the reality is that this is what life is feeding us, seductively shaping our unguarded souls in ways that most of us aren't even aware of. We are talking about rights and happiness and desires and wants more now than we have ever had, and yet by every measurable standard, we are not a happier people. We're not. Did you understand we are better off in the way that we live probably perhaps than ever, any generation has ever been and are internal composure and peace and subjective experience of that has not risen to meet that? Almost by every measurable standard, people are not happier. Looking at your faces, people are not happier. <laughs> no, no offense, right? I've been going for a long time. I get it, okay? But what's at stake here is really important. At stake is I will lose my ability to be present. So let me just quickly wrap this up. Let me show you what David says. Even in Psalm 42, you will notice that he says to his soul. He talks to his soul. That is not accidental. What it means is this. Is that my soul may feel one thing, but I do not live at the mercy of what's going on at what I feel. I will correct my soul. I will talk my soul into better. Okay? And I want you to pay attention to the words of verse number 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now I'm going to mess with your theology just for a minute. Notice it does not say God calmed and quieted my soul. I'm going to mess with you really a lot here. Okay? David does not attribute to this to God. David attributes this to what he did. Now, some of us in this room have conversations about this all the time, and we will continue to have conversations about this long after we're gone, right? And I like those conversations. Those are good. What we have to do in these situations, regardless of where you feel about how much God does, how much the man does, do they both do together, do one do without the other, regardless of whatever you fall on that, what you have to do is you always have to be careful that I don't change what it says because I want it to say what it doesn't. 
okay? I need to let it say what it says. People of God, I want to teach you something here, and I really want you to hear this, okay? We are always at our best when we let the Word of God say what the Word of God says. If we don't understand it, if we don't get it, if we can't put it together, doesn't matter. We're always better when we let it say what it says. And David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now let me give you a way to think about this so you don't get too angry with me and send me hate emails to Nathan at gmail.com. Um, David did not calm and compose his soul apart from the grace of God. He didn't. God did not calm and quiet David's soul apart from David's involvement. God did not do this for David without David cooperating with God. David did not do this at all by his strength, power, or capability, but he only did it by grace. These are not at opposed to one another at all. And here's why this is so important. Here's why I really want you to get this. Because if there was something that David did to contribute to this calm and quieted soul, it means that there is something that you and I can do to contribute to this calm and quieted soul. And if there is something to do, I want you to hear this. If there is something that we can do in this process, then it means that we stand a shot at doing it well. Like, like I really may be able to live this way. Probably not all the time. I don't need all the time right now. I just need when I wake up tomorrow and my life is overwhelming, I need to be able for life to be what it is and my heart to be calm and at rest in the good and mighty and gracious work of my redeeming king. I don't need to do it every moment. I just need to do it in the next moment. And if this is true, that I can speak to my soul and I can work together with the Holy Spirit and there can actually be real change in my life, then I can take this seriously and it means we stand a shot at actually doing this. This isn't some far-fetched dream, people of God. This could be reality. For, and would it not be beautiful for the people of God to leave, live with this calm and quieted soul in a world that knows nothing but chaos internally? So, I don't know all the ins and outs of the how. I will give you two. We're done. You will not get to verse number two if you do not understand verse number one. How many of you are impressed with my theology so far? Very good. Let me give you a very easy way to understand verse number one. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me. What does that mean? That means this. Lord, you do what you want to do, and I will be okay with what you want to do. I refuse to control anything that is not mine to control. I give up things that are too big for me and things that are not mine. I'm done. I don't need to impose my will upon this situation. I will gladly trust your will in this situation. And for me, here's what faith has been for the last couple of years. It has been learning to trust God with what I call the outcomes. Okay, you know what I'm talking about, outcomes? Like I, so I want Isaiah to be a great dad. Okay, I do. And I did some work there. Probably did some bad work there sometimes, but we'll be quiet and see if he finds out, right? Just let him guess, Okay. But I did everything that I can do, at least up to this point. And now there's some things that this kid has to do. And I can try as I want to pull the strings. But they're not my strings to pull. 
And anytime I feel like I have to pull those strings, what happens is my heart gets unrestful. And I need to, I need to, I need to. Micah came home the other day and he left all kinds of dishes on the, and I just felt, I counted every dish the kid left on my counter. And I'm just like, son, I've told you, 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 rinse your dishes, rinse your dishes. And he's going to school, he's now with his grandpa, he doesn't even live in my house today. This has been a hard week. And so I'm so frustrated. And what I'm doing is because I need him to wash some silly dishes. I'm absent from my son. Doesn't mean dishes don't need to be done. Don't mishear what I'm saying. Kids, do your dishes. It just means that the dishes are so, so not the thing. And so he says, I refuse to impose my will. I will let you do what you do. Then verse number three. These are all part of the process. I I let go of control and I trust. I actively hope in the Lord. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It means that I actively trust. I actively expect. I believe that God is going to do what God always does. So here's the picture, that I'm in this stream of life, and I don't have to swim upstream to get all of the goodness, beauty, and faithfulness of God. I don't have to ride with the stream gone to catch up with it because it passed me by. Where I am in this moment is the beautiful place of God. And if my heart is restless, I will miss it. I will miss it. So let me give you an illustration in closing. In just a moment, we're going to go home, and all the kids are going to look at your, your parents, and they're going to go, why do we have to go home? Aren't they? Is that right? Does that still happen? So we're going to pick on Jordan and Chelsea and Jack, okay? Jack and I, if you don't know Jordan and Chelsea, Jack is how old? He's five. Jack and I have a big disagreement about ninjas, and so Jack is on my list, So he really needs to hear this. I don't know that this is the case, but I suspect that when you guys get ready to go here in just a moment, Jack is going to be very upset about leaving. You're going to look at Jack and you're going to say, Jack, we need rest, we need food, we need all the good things that you need. And Jack is going to go, no, no, you devil, and all of these things. You ninja, or whatever, I don't know what he's going to say. Let's suppose for just a moment. Jordan goes to Jack, and Jack, we need to go home, we need to rest, we need to eat, we need to do all the things. Mom is tired. And Jack goes, Dad, you are so wise. You are so gracious. And you are so loving. I want to do what you said. Dad, take me home. Dad, put me in my bed. Dad, feed me. Dad, not, don't just feed me. Dad, feed me whatever you want. I will eat all that is on my plate with happiness and joy. And I will gladly, I will gladly do what you say. That's probably not going to happen, Jordan. I love you, brother, but it ain't going to happen. But most of us ride through life kicking and screaming when God wants to pull us in directions. And we'd probably do better if we just said, you know what? He's wise. He's good. And right now, I don't have to control this. I can rest in his goodness and grace. Stand with me. Father, we love you. We want to learn more of you. We want our souls to be calm, our internal world to be quiet. We want to be faithful followers of you. Lord Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection has secured for us not just a future inheritance, 
but inheritance that is now. And part of that inheritance is that we can trust you. We can faithfully follow you. That all of the resources for the life that you have called us to are at our disposal. And your spirit is inside of us. And we don't need anything else for life and godliness. You have given all to us. You have spared not your son. You will freely with him give us all things. So help us to step forward in boldness and confidence. Pressing for an internal rest of the soul. Because the world may not get better. Life may not change. It may but it may not. And if it doesn't, Father, we will trust you that you are good and that you are faithful and you are true. We will not try to control the outcomes or manipulate the circumstances. We will let you do what you do, let you be who you are as you want to. We will trust your timing, your will, your means. We will let you do you. And we will always be better for it. Give us this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.